0: Hello, and welcome to The Quantum Realm, where we break down the Marvel Cinematic Universe piece by piece in release order. Together, we'll celebrate the stories, moments, and characters that we've come to know and love. My name is Jacob Devlin, and for this podcast, I will be your watcher, your guide to these vast new realities. Hi folks! Jacob here, wanting to wish you a happy December. Today we're hitting movie number 10 in the MCU, and I was thrilled to bring back my dear friend Katie Salaitis to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. This movie introduced a brand new tone to the Marvel Universe and dared to be a little different, actually a lot different, and it has a special place in my life and Katie's. A band of misfits targeted in a cosmic bounty hunt set to the tune of a sweet 80s soundtrack. Without further ado, let's listen in. Did you also watch the holiday special that just did. came out this weekend? What did you think of the holiday special? It was
1: cute. It yeah. was really
0: cute. Definitely. It was just a nice, like I, I laughed the whole way through. I thought it was just so funny, this whole like plot with Kevin Bacon and everything they were doing and that. And I had I had fun because that morning I had just seen um Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives Out. Oh, <clears throat> I haven't seen that. So I love both of those movies. Knives Out was my favorite movie in 2019. Glass Onion was a phenomenal follow-up to it. They totally stuck the landing. And Dave Bautista is in that movie. And so he, you know, did his thing. And I don't think I'd seen him in anything except for these Guardians movies. And seeing him in something else, I was like, this man is just hilarious. Dave Bautista is so funny.
1: His his comedic timing playing the ultimate straight guy. Yeah. You know, not, not straight as in, you know, sexual preference, but just that, that you know, vanilla, you know, by the book to the point kind of straight guy. He plays it so well with his comedic timing.
0: (laughs) Totally. He does that so well in Glass Onion too. So I highly recommend that movie. And you also get Catherine Hahn was in it. Um, I'm trying to think who, there were a lot of big names in this movie. so of course, Daniel Craig is the detective and um, let's see Kate Hudson. I hadn't seen her in a movie in a very long time, but she was kind of like the spoiled like rat rich girl in this movie and there were like four or five other like big names in this movie. Like that's the whole premise behind these movies. Like they're mysteries starring like big names, and they're all like kind of annoying and like rich. And he's kind of taking down the one percent. Is how I look at these movies. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. That one. It also kept me guessing. Like it, there was a lot of suspense, and it kept on twisting and turning, and it's fun. So
1: cool. I'm gonna have <laughs> yeah. to watch that now.
0: Definitely. Have you so. seen
1: um, the new Wednesday?
0: I watched the first episode and I can't wait to keep going with it. Cause it was just such a fun first episode.
1: I binged the entire series already.
0: You watched the I, whole thing already.
1: I was upset. And this is just an observation from the first, first um, episode. So you've already seen it. Mm-hmm. They, the way the Adams family generally works is they are kooky in comparison to normal people. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of upset that they took what works with the Adams family and threw it on its side by putting her around others she's not nearly as kooky like the, ah that it makes sense yeah. it didn't feel like like they were hitting the right note but it is a good series
0: mm-hmm. i
1: still don't like the the family doesn't feel right to me like they picked good actors but they picked the wrong actors for the part if that makes sense gotcha yeah like i i like the actors as actors but i think in that role they just don't hit the right notes for me but the series as a series is really good
0: I'll have to keep on going because I love Tim Burton and I just loved the aesthetic of the first episode and what's her name the Jenna Ortega as Wednesday I feel like she she does a good
1: Wednesday she she does nail the part of Wednesday and and to Tim Burton's credit the visuals spot on
0: there's a scene in the first episode where she's with her roommate and you can see like the division in the room, like how her side's all colorful. And then Wednesday's, of course, is all dark and spooky. <laughs> and, and I was like, I, I love to see this dynamic. I hope that they they keep that going. Yes, so.
1: <laughs> yes. That, that is played upon through the whole series. It, it's a good, she contrasts really well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that that opposites attract or odd couple type mentality. It works.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I totally see your point about how what works with the Addams family is how they're, when they're you know with the normal society i would have loved to see more of her in that first school that she was at where she dumps the piranhas out and everything (laughs) like that was just so much fun like give me more of that
1: (laughs) i know that that is that's what works with the adams family so it it really felt off that they were trying to throw her in a situation where she is still the kookiest one around you know she still is the oddest of the oddballs but it's less of that that drastic contrast that works for the adams family when everyone else is you know in that spectrum
0: that's fair yeah so oh i can't wait to keep on watching so yeah
1: it's it's a good series like i i the initial upset i got over really quickly because they do have a fun mystery to solve Mm -hmm. and they do play it out through the whole series
0: okay yeah i'll check it out more tonight so So I wanted to tell the story of my aunt, who is not a big Marvel fan, (laughs) and it was so funny because I sat down with her for, for lunch one day, and out of nowhere she goes, you know, your uncle and I watched one of those Marvel movies the other day. And I was like, ooh, which one? Tell me all about it. I was like, so ready to have this conversation with her. And she goes, I can't remember the name. She goes, but I was so impressed with how deep and profound it was. It was just so great. And there were all these characters, but one of them, his name was Crude, I think. And he's like, a root, and I don't know, but it was just so. Deep. <laughs> and then when I finally figured out, I was like, "Oh, she's talking about Guardians of the Galaxy." And I, first of all, I laughed by her description of this, <laughs> and, and the fact that she—that was the first one that she chose to watch. And the first thing she had to say was like, "This was so deep and profound." <laughs> and to to her credit, I think that she is right about that. There's a lot of really deep moments in Guardians of the Galaxy, but. I remember first watching the trailer for this movie and seeing, okay, we have a talking tree, we have a, a raccoon, and just a bunch of, like, misfits. This looks so stupid. That was my reaction to the trailer, watching it the first time. I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to go see this one. <laughs> but, but that is my introduction to Guardians of the Galaxy, because it totally took my expectations and flipped them on their head and I was I was dead wrong the whole time. It's a phenomenal movie. So and I'm glad that you are here to chat about it with me today.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And and I'm gonna go out on a limb and probably get a lot of hate for this. But I initially didn't like the Avengers movies because mm-hmm. they again back to the you know the straight man analogy, not not gen or not sexual preference, but just that super straightforward, you know, presentation. The mm-hmm. Avengers always felt like that to me, even though they were superheroes, they, they kind of, as a group, they just formed a cohesive unit and did the thing. Mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy, though, it is relatable. Yes, they're crazy creatures, but they're so relatable. And, and you know, we say, okay, I'm that person. You're that person. I mean, we find <laughs> the the member of the team that we most associate with. And I think that's why it works, because it is so varied, and it's so exaggerated, but it, it's all of us, and that that makes them relatable.
0: That totally makes sense, and I'm excited to get into how that happens and how it comes together, so this came out in August 2014. It's already been over eight years, which it feels a lot more recent to me, but I 2014, and What I remember about the first time watching this is I was probably halfway through graduate school and I was about to go back to Virginia for my second year, but I saw this one with my friend Maggie kind of reluctantly. Again, I was like, I was not impressed by the trailers. It looked really dumb to me and we went and I just remember walking out going, that was so much better than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. And it's fun to rewatch it and come back. I can't remember the last time I rewatched this one, but sitting down last week and looking at it again it's a breath of fresh air because that's the first time that we get away from kind of the big three. You know, all these movies have been centered on, you know, Tony, um, <clears throat> Captain America, Thor. We love our originals. But but it was nice that Marvel really took this opportunity to do something very different. And now we finally get into the weird stuff that I love about Marvel. So <laughs> this is going to be a blast.
1: <laughs> it was a, a breath of fresh air. And I when I went to see this, one, I initially saw it, at a drive-in and it was me and another family and we had all our kids there and I kind of figured out we're just going to sit we're going to drink we're going to you know talk have fun while the kids are watching the movie and I ended up being so glued to the screen because I was so impressed by what they did that you know, it, it was like, shut up, shut up. I'm watching instead of you know, <laughs> ch- chatting with people like I had initially intended to, to do. <laughs> like It was a stand up and pay attention kind of movie. It really captured your interest and held you for the entire length.
0: It did. I miss drive-ins, by the way. When you mention that, I just got all nostalgic for drive-in <laughs> <in> theaters.
1: <laughs> There's like fun. one out here and it's, it's so run down, but occasionally it's fun to go when you've got a big group of people to go with.
0: Nice. If I ever visit Vegas, we have to go to a drive-in because they shut down the last one in Tucson. (laughs) Um, But this is really good. So this is also the 10th movie in the MCU. We are at movie number 10 now, double digits, Um, continuing on in phase two, introducing a whole new cast of characters. This one is directed by James Gunn. The music score is by Tyler Bates. I like to give him credit because we Um, This movie is known for a lot of its soundtrack, you know, it has a really great 80s soundtrack, that's a whole lot of fun. But the music score that shows up from time to time is also really kind of celestial and epic and beautiful and I just think that Tyler Bates did a really great job composing this. Um, But to get into the the three-act structure, when I was watching this, one thing that struck me was This one is almost structurally perfect. If you look at the the three-act structure, about every 40 minutes or so, you get your clean break into the next sequence. Um, And every 15 minutes or so, even that's a pretty clean break, too. And So so the intro, um, this one is one of our first cold opens in the Marvel universe. And we start firmly grounded in the 80s with Peter Quill sitting outside with his Walkman And he's led into a hospital room where his mother is clearly dying. So little trivia for you. Do you know where else the mother appears in the MCU? The actress who played the mother?
1: Oh, shoot. No, I don't know.
0: Did you know she's in something else, though?
1: I did, though, but I don't remember what it is.
0: I had to look it up before we started. I'm usually on (laughs)
1: top of these things, too.
0: Yeah, so she actually showed up in Captain America, the first one, the first Avenger. She asks for Steve's autograph at some point, and I think somebody asked James Gunn about that, and he he says that it's supposed to be P- Peter Quill's grandmother or something, um, but it's <laughs> That's a believable tie-in. It's a believable tie-in, yeah. I think the timeline works for that. Yeah. Um... I totally wouldn't have picked up on that. Somebody had to point out to me that she was in both of these movies. And so she's dying on a hospital bed and it's just a really gut-wrenching introduction where she calls him in and is prepared to give her final words. She tells Peter that he looks like his father who was like an angel composed out of pure light. And she kind of goes on about him for a little bit. She gives Peter a birthday present and she nears the end of her life. She asks asks Peter to take her hand, and he can't do it. He he looks away, and he does not take his mother's hand before she passes away, which is just a heartbreaking scene. Um, and in kind of a fit of grief and rage, he runs from the hospital and is promptly abducted by a UFO, which cues up our Marvel intro and. I still get chills when I see how they set this up. Like it's a really, you know, quick and brilliant three and a half minutes, very emotional, and then you cut to your Marvel credits, and I'm just like, dang! And they
1: they set up a lot with that because you know they they tease the who's the father angle, true. Um, the fact that he can't take his mother's hand, it's it's he's rejecting an emotional connection when he's you know stressed out, and that's something that follows him throughout most of this movie. Is is he does keep people at arm's length he doesn't reach out and and try and get help
0: that's true yeah and so we go 26 years later on the planet morag and this really kind of gets the. <laughs> this is the where whole... I, I
1: sat up and paid attention when when this part came on i was like oh my god what are they doing right <laughs>
0: Because it's a total shift, right? We have this hugely emotional, like profound intro. And then a total 180 where Peter's out living the space life. He has all these hollows and gadgets and a really cool mask. His Sony Walkman is still with him. And we get our first like tease of this 80s soundtrack, The Awesome Mix, Volume One. He's listening to Come and Get Your Love as he's kicking space rats around and like singing into them like their microphones. And he is there to track down a mysterious orb holding, he doesn't know what it is at the time. We now know that it contains the power stone. So, one of the infinity stones that are so central to phase one through three. Um, But he's just there (laughs) to. What was that?
1: Sorry, I just because of the (laughs) intro, just it is so eye catching. Yeah. The dance, you know, the dance intro. (laughs) How fun would that have been to shoot?
0: Oh and how God. much of
1: that was was really, you know, the actor Chris Pratt, you know, going, I want to do this. Come on, I can, I can pull this off. Let me do this.
0: <laughs> he's such a good person to play Star-Lord and just his mannerisms and his personality. Like, you can totally picture him kind of putting his hand on this and saying, like, I want to do this dance. He, so. He's
1: definitely good at playing the lovable rogue.
0: Absolutely. So... Um, so I, I agree with you. Like, this really sets the tone for kind of the action, adventure, and comedy. It's so much fun. Um, and people know this scene so well that they have to call back to it in Endgame later. Like, everyone knows when the scene comes back. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so he is there for this power orb, and other people are too. And so he, has, he gets attacked before he can take this thing away. And he introduces himself. He's like, my name is Peter Quill. You might know me as Star-Lord, a legendary outlaw. And they don't care. They've never heard uh, of who? him. <laughs> and I just think that's so funny. <laughs> he he has this kind of like cocky, like everybody knows who I am. Like I'm cool, but nobody really knows. <laughs> does, does that
1: work? Can we like assign ourselves a, a name and just <laughs> introduce <laughs> ourselves by our, our fake name and make it a thing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we should do that next Comic-Con here. <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then he calls one of his attackers a ninja turtle. And I think that's just one of many fun popular culture references throughout the movie. Like, it really, as zany and out of this world as this movie is, it keeps grounding us in our popular culture and making it relatable for us who are watching it. so. So he ends up getting this thing and then he goes back to his ship and we find that he's this total playboy. He slept with a pink alien lady named Berit and he totally forgot she was there.
1: She gets so, her payback though.
0: Yeah, she gets her payback. I
1: love that. I love that. Oops, answered the phone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um, the next scene we get our introduction to Yondu and this is one of the reasons why this movie is so special for us because of the actor who plays Yondu. So Michael Rooker in this movie, he plays a blue guy, and he's the one who took Peter off of Earth. In this movie, they call it Terra, and brought him into the Ravagers. So they're basically these like space pirates, mercs, and they made a deal for the orb that Peter stole. But our tie into this movie is that he's played by Michael Rooker. So we have to tell the Michael Rooker story at this point. And, he's
1: such a great, uh, great guy. Like a lot of actors, you, you don't you see them, you idolize them, and and when you get a chance to meet them, you're you're starstruck, and and doesn't matter how they act, you're just like, oh my god, I get to meet him. Michael Rooker's really cool and down to earth.
0: So cool, yeah. <laughs> All right, I, so
1: he's just so. he's very very cool. Like I, I don't know, genuine. You, you know, you really want to to you know now put them up on the pedestal because they are you know unbelievably cool on top of being somebody who plays characters you absolutely love.
0: Absolutely. So how you met him before the 2019 Comic Con. You already kind of had this connection. So tell everybody like our story from 2019 and like how that happened.
1: Oh yeah. It's like Michael it's such Rooker. a long tie-in. Well, it goes back to 2015 or 2016. Um, I was doing a comic convention in Vegas here, mm-hmm. and Michael Rooker's son-in-law was also, um, he's a creator, he's an author, he's a game designer. We both had booths at the Comic-Con and mm-hmm. we were just, you know, shooting the shit as you do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know he was connected at all. What You know, it was just two people chatting about, you know, books and things like that. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Michael Rooker had, had come down from his booth area and was just kind of walking the floor and saying hi to people. And I had my daughter there with me. She was little at the time and she was trained to give everybody a bookmark. Mm-hmm. So if they passed the, the booth, they got a bookmark. And she saw him and she handed him a bookmark and he stopped and he was like, thank you. And he grabbed our phones and started taking selfies with us and then put them down. And I'm just standing there going, oh, my!" that's so I, cool. <laughs> awesome. And as he walked away, I looked at my daughter. And I went, you know who that is? And she's like, no, I was like, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, the blue guy. And she's like, oh, my God, <laughs> we'll come to find out the other author that I've been chatting with. He's like, yes, yeah, my father in law what
0: right so like...
1: <laughs> oh my god that's so cool so we developed a connection just as authors and created spelling ink together mm-hmm. because of that mm-hmm. and uh so you know we we had our connection through there and then fast forward to 2019 and michael worker was again at a comic convention that we were at and we were like oh I, you know i want to stop up and say hi and i was talking to um his, his son-in-law you know, just saying, I wish I could stop in and say, oh. he's like, I'll, I'll tell him, I'll let him know you're here. And what is, what does he do? Michael Ruger comes down again, comes straight to our, our booth, starts holding up our books and taking pictures. It's like, dude, that was cool. Thank you.
0: That was such a cool moment. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my like point of view in this story was I went to go and meet Ming-Na Wen because she was also at this convention and so I was in her line I was ready for my picture with her and her autograph and it took kind of a while because she stepped out for lunch at one point and then she had a couple get engaged in her line and kind of that was a really cool thing to see Um, but it took a little little while to get through her line and then by the time I finished I was hungry so I stopped for some pizza I think I bought a slice for you too and when I got back, that was when Michael Rooker was making his way into our booth and there was this huge crowd like following him. And <laughs> what I remember the most is like, we had this big crowd around our booth and I was like, man, should I even go in or people are gonna think I'm gonna, like, just like, following michael rooker or something and so so i try to push it i'm like this is my booth too this is my booth too and and then um he like yells at this crowd because as much as we want to believe that a crowd is just going to gather and look at our books you know it's not they're not there for that right (laughs) and and he looks at everybody he goes do y'all even read and (laughs) his michael rooker voice (laughs) and it was just the funniest thing um but but they were there for
1: him your pizza on the way out
0: I offered him pizza, yes, because I was a little bit too late to get in the photo with y'all or to, you know, have him, you know, hold up my books and stuff. And so I was like, sir, would you like some pizza? And and he was like, oh, no, I'm good. And, you know, like in hindsight, they probably are trained never to accept food from strangers, which is a really smart thing. But he still is,
1: again, real and gracious and just, you know, really
0: chill. It was so cool. cool. yeah he stayed and chatted for a little bit and was talking about your books and how it was like a fandom that he could get involved in. And I was like, this is just the coolest moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So Of course,
1: I made sure to tell David, um, his son-in-law, again, my spilling ink partner that he did drop by and, and was like that. Tell him, thank you. That was so meaningful to us. We really appreciate that because, I mean, we couldn't really step away from the booth. It was so sporadic with people coming by that, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. want to walk away and miss an opportunity to speak to, you know, somebody who's read the books before, who might be a fan or to mm-hmm. introduce new people to the books. You know, mm-hmm. you know when we're there, we work a lot. We play hard, but we work hard too.
0: All of that. Definitely. So uh, what a fun memory. We're always going to remember that. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so, so he's in this movie and it's just so fun. Like I see him in a different light watching this movie now. I'm like, I saw that guy, you know,
1: and and he plays such a good character in this movie. He, he plays, you know, the, the dual role. He has to be hard. Mm -hmm. He has to be, you know, the, the leader of the ravagers. He can't be soft on Peter. Mm -hmm. but he also you can tell there's that that fatherly love in there so even Mm -hmm. as he's threatening him and saying how he stopped people from eating him because they'd never tasted a taran before like you can see that like that's like a dad scolding his child
0: it is yeah
1: it's a lot of you know bluster but you know it's it's meant for show not for real
0: totally yeah so that's a really good dynamic that they have in that um, and so then we cut to the Dark Aster, which is the Kree worship where Ronan the Accuser is introduced as our villain. He's the scary badass. He hates the planet Xandar and all that the people stand for there. And he has promised Thanos, the big purple guy, that he would bring him the, the orb. And so that's our clue that that's an infinity stone, stone in there. And he's conspiring with Nebula and Gamora, Thanos' adopted daughters. And that's a really fun relationship. The, you know, Nebula and Gamora. My, the other fun thing that happened to me in 2019 at that same Comic Con was I met Karen Gillen, who plays Nebula. Nebula. And so, um, the question I had to ask her, I was like, how long does it take you to get all the blue stuff? How long does it take to do all the blue? She told me four hours, which sounds agonizing, but I'm surprised that it's not longer, actually. I would have thought it'd be like an all day thing. So
1: Yeah, with the details. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And- and if I had just seen seen her like out of context, I never would have guessed like, oh, you're the lady who plays nebula. Like she's this beautiful red-haired woman. Of course, like I didn't think she was going to be like bald and blue, but but it's such a drastic transformation, and she does a really great job with it. So I,
1: I knew her from from Amy Pond uh, in Doctor. Who. Dr.
0: Who, right? And
1: I the, the contrast in seeing her because I've always been a you know Dr. Who fan seeing her play those two different roles. Like she's got a lot of range as an actress to be able to play those two very, very different characters and play them so believably.
0: Totally. And then the new Jumanji movies too with The yep. Rock. Oh. She was also in those and did a great job in those as well. So she's kind of like Johnny Depp, like being able to transform and do these totally different roles every time. And so, and then um, Gamora, I love Zoe Saldana, Saldana is Gamora. And so- she she's, she just, she's brings, just
1: badass by herself
0: absolutely badass everything she's in because she she hits so many of these franchises right she was in star trek she was in um avatar the the blue avatar not the last mm-hmm. airbender <laughs> and, um pirates of the caribbean she was in the first one and i'm probably missing tons of other ones but she had her hands in like all these big franchises and she just totally steals the show every time she shows up so. And then Ronan is terrifying in this movie. I think he's a really good villain. Just you you fear him in this movie. And, and it sets up the whole Kree thing that comes back in Captain Marvel later. So um, so basically, we, we find out he's supposed to be getting this orb. And then we cut to Xandar, kind of this hub planet, and meet the rest of the Guardians. So Rocket is there trash-talking everyone from afar. And that's one of the most hilarious things to me. <laughs> So, <laughs> katie is raising her hand right now because <laughs> she is our rocket she's the rocket of the group <laughs> yes Look,
1: okay rocket At the you know at the intro here he is he's that just trash talking um rodent he's just pissed off at everything but he's resourceful as hell oh yeah he's the mom of the group which is why i always say i'm rocket because <laughs> you, you gotta scream and yell to get people to listen as a mom you have to be you can't say anything nice you can't hey honey can you just go do it no you have to get to screaming like a banshee before anybody listens to you (laughs) you got to be resourceful you got to make do with what you got you know and and rocket is very much that he always manages to put together stuff and and Mm -hmm. enjoys you know enjoys the mayhem that he can create Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but Mm -hmm. without him a lot of shit would just fall apart
0: yeah. And that's also you. I think about our putting together our Comic-Con booths when sometimes you have to like MacGyver something together to hold our grids together or put our banners up or whatever. Like, you are the MacGyver.
1: And the whole time I'm cursing, like, God fucking damn it, why is this shit working? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so you are Rocket all the way through, and we, we love that. So <laughs> Um, so he's also trash talking Stanley from afar that's our cameo yep. for Stanley like look at this guy like he thinks he's all cool, you know. <laughs> and then Groot, the talking tree, is drinking from fountain water, and they are best friends. Rocket and Groot are the most wholesome friendship in the MCU, I'm gonna say that on the record right now. Rocket then sees Star-Lord in his little visor and sees that he has a sizable bounty on his head. I cannot remember the amount, but it's like 40 or 50,000 credits or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And so um, then we see Gamora flirting with Peter and using that kind of as a way to steal the orb. So she like kind of puts the moves on him and then she like kicks him and she grabs the orb. Rocket wants it too. And it turns into this whole thing. It's this big scuffle on Xandar and it's hilarious. And it's so fun to watch. I usually don't get invested in fight scenes, but this one is just so funny and, you know, fast paced and I couldn't look away from it.
1: Well, and Everybody had a specific target. So you had, you had uh, Peter Quill and you had Gamora going after the orb,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: you had Rocket and Groot going after Gamora and Peter, and so as as one would screw the other one over, they would get screwed over by something else, and it was just like constantly swapping perspectives of who's going after what. It was just funny.
0: Yeah, it was almost like rock paper scissors. Like somebody would get the <laughs> upper, upper hand, and then my Groot would come and like put a freaking like bag over their head or something. That was my favorite part. Groot just like comes over with his like bag and like. Just like throws it over Peter and like carries him away. Like it's not. And then Peter
1: escapes the bag just in time to go after Gamora. I mean, it was, it was well played.
0: Yeah. Well played. <laughs> Definitely. But then
1: they all get caught by the Nova Squad.
0: They're all caught. Yeah. So Nova Corps arrests them all. And Nova Corps is also really fun because we have Glenn Close, who is like a big A lister and she's in all these really serious movies. And the contrast with John C. Riley, who's always in like the Will Ferrell movies and always plays the goofball, like mm-hmm. I feel like the dynamic between those two explains this movie really well because it's <laughs> such a hilarious movie. And there's always, you know, all this slapstick action going on, but then it has these like Glenn Close moments where like everything suddenly takes this drastic shift and it always works like it plays both tones really it, well.
1: The best way that they they nailed that is actually later in the movie when he comes up and he's like, we got a message and he says he's an a-hole, but he's not 100% total dick. And he says it so straightforwardly <laughs> and she's like, well, do you believe him? I, I don't know. Like, I guess not. <laughs> No one's a hundred percent. She doesn't break at all. She's just like, no, the message. You think he's- <laughs> that that contrast? I just nailed it excellently. I loved that.
0: It's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> so many great lines in this movie too. Oh God, so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Nova Corps gets involved and they arrest this group for basically causing a big public disturbance and sends them to the kiln, which is like a big old space prison. And there we get our Hooked on a feeling montage. We get like a little dossier on every character. And so you learn about all of their motivations. I love how John C. Riley um, has his description of each one of them and says like, um, subject, whatever. And he's referring to Groot and says like, he's Rocket's houseplant slash hired muscle or something like that. <laughs>
1: that, that was used in the trailer too, if I recall. Like they, they used that lineup to help introduce them
0: i think so yeah because i remember peter quill doing his little machine that lifts the bird at everybody and and they blur it out in the trailers but then he's like oh you know i'm sorry i didn't know what this machine did and and, uh it it was so funny and so and
1: and i like that it's it's the the the, um enemies to friends kind of trope that they're playing on because none of these people want to work together but they're forced to because they're all after one goal, and that ends up being the thing that unifies them. And, and again, going back to the whole team aspect, unlike, you know, the Avengers who all kind of band together and, and do their job because they're good people, these are not good people. They're no. people. <laughs> yeah. they're, they have their own interests, and it's their own interest that's holding them. It's not any sense of honor or duty. It's their own interest. But through that, they, they find to you know ways to work together and actually become you know, a a group that has a unified interest.
0: Yeah. So it's a very human take on, you know, groups and even on individuals. I think that it does a great job of making you care about each of these people individually. And I think that that is achieved in a way that the Eternals couldn't do. Like the Eternals introduced like 10 characters. And this is the other movie that has like, it throws us like five or six new people in one movie. And a lot of times that doesn't work out very well. Like you can get to know everybody really well when you throw so many new people into a movie. But this one does it perfectly. Like you just really come to care about each one. And- yeah,
1: and, and and the relatable aspect of how many how many times in your life have you had to work with somebody you absolutely hated? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we know that feeling deep down, and we can relate to that as this group is is having to form.
0: Definitely. So, um, so we have our Hooked on a Feeling montage and just kind of their life in the kiln. Everybody hates them, but they especially hate Gamora because they believe that she's loyal to Ronin, who's destroying all the planets. And that sets up the entry for Drax, the last of the Guardians. And he's lost his whole family into Ronin, and he's very bent on revenge. And so he basically sees Gamora as his way to get revenge. But then Peter comes and explains to him that she needs to be kept alive if he wants the opportunity to actually get to Ronin. And... (laughs) And the the funny kind of interaction here was Peter does the whole like finger across the throat thing, and <laughs> and Drax goes, "Why would I put my finger on his throat?" <laughs> That's our first like metaphor that goes over his head, and there is nothing so many goes things. over
1: his head. His reflexes are too fast.
0: Catch he it, catch it. <laughs> <laughs> so many funny things. Like all, every line that he has is <laughs> just hilarious. Um, but Peter manages to unite them and, and kind of. Um, convince them that they need to work together and to eventually United go after greed. Ronan. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, and at the end of this act, Thanos appears, so we get our, you know, callback to the big purple guy who's going to be running this whole phase one through three. He tells Ronan that if he does not retrieve the orb, he will bathe the Starways in his blood, which I think is just an epic line and. So Ronan realizes he needs to go to the kiln, where the group has started to hatch their big, hilarious escape plan to get out of prison together. And another another
1: mom moment there. Rocket is telling them the plan. And (laughs) and you have Groot in the background going, "Okay, he needed that thing. I'm going to go get that thing. And while Rocket is like, "Okay, we need this, and we need this, and we're going to do this, and make sure you do this last. And that's the moment when Groot does the thing that's supposed to be done last. And he's like, "Okay, or we improvise. Such a mom moment there when your kid goes and fuck something up in the background and you just have to deal (laughs) with it
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh man but i think that's another cool thing that we can learn like from writing too is that you know you make a plan but you, you never make it easy for them like you have to complicate things along the way and what better way than to make sure that you grab the last thing first and trip an alarm and set everything to chaos
1: and just like a mom who knows which kid can do what <laughs> Rocket throws out, "I need that leg." And what does Peter do? Instead of fighting with everyone else, he's going after the leg because that's what his job was, was to get the leg, and it it was a non needed item at the end. And it's like, ah, damn it.
0: <laughs> what does Rocket say? Like, oh, I just thought that would be funny, or something. Yeah. <laughs> and it also sets up his love of random, you know, body parts and like cyborg parts that plays over over and over again in the MCU. Oh yeah. <laughs> so-
1: Oh, yeah, I love that. That is one of his defining things.
0: <laughs> yeah, so so a hilarious escape from the kiln. It's fast-paced. It's firing on all four c- cylinders. And it takes us cleanly into Act 2. And we have all of the Guardians together now. And they are on the way to meet Gamora's buyer for the mysterious orb. So everybody is looking for this thing. Yondu's looking for it. Ronin's looking for it. The Collector. And Star-Lord still doesn't know at this point that it contains an Infinity Stone. The, the audience still doesn't know until a couple minutes later. So we get to Nowhere, which is the severed head of a celestial being. And while waiting for the Collector to see them, the crew kind of goes and does their own thing. So some of them are gambling and drinking and doing pelvic sorcery, another fun line between <laughs> Gamora and Star-Lord probably my favorite line actually that is a good one yeah Yeah. pelvic sorcery um this is where he tells her about kevin bacon too this is where the whole thing starts The so (laughs) um so gamora reveals that thanos her adopted father killed her parents before he destroyed her her planet so she is not loyal to him she hates him but this is just kind of the life that she was forced to live like she's been forced to live with this evil mad titan Mm -hmm. um And when we get to the collector's lair, he has all sorts of fun knickknacks and intricacies. He collects things. He really wants Groot, who's, I guess, a rare member of his species.
1: Offers to pay him for his body. Right. (laughs) Groot's just like, I'm Groot.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then we get the origins of the infinity stones, which I think is the first time that we really get that in the MCU. Like he, the collector just kind of gives us everything like, hey, there were these six singularities that happened that formed these stones. They can only be wielded by very pow- powerful individuals. And we see glimpses of where some of them are. So we get a, a brief glimpse of the tesseract that Loki always runs around with. Um, There's a vision of the Celestial in one of the Collector's holograms, so that shows up later in the Eternals. Um, And we're basically led to understand that it takes somebody very powerful to even be able to hold these things. And the Collector's slave, he has this this slave, and she attempts to take hold of the Purple One, the Power Stone, and it destroys her, along with much of his lair. It's just this terrible moment. and so that kind of clues us in, like this thing is a big deal, and you can't just you can't just touch it. Like <laughs> it takes somebody with a lot of power. To There's be a to lot
1: happening it. there because you you also get the scene where the people tried to share the power, which is foreshadowing. True, and um, that that it only worked for a little bit. So you get that foreshadowing. You get um, the visuals of seeing the the collector's lair and seeing the different things he collected. Go back mm. to Thor: The Dark World. They teased yeah. this as the extra credit scene in Thor the Dark World.
0: So he's trying to collect all of them, just like everyone else. <laughs> which
1: which sets up for the next, you know, when we see Thanos go after the collector. True. So there's a lot being set up in just this one little scene, as well as explaining to the audience, if you haven't figured it out already, guys, this is going to um, be a dangerous item. Not only is it the Infinity Stone, but look what happens when one person touches it
0: yeah so, so that's feel, such an important moment yeah yeah
1: you feel how big this thing really is and then right. of course peter's like what you had that thing in your bag the whole time <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> or when he drops it too i think that was actually um that that was a real drop <laughs> in that scene where they just kept it because it was so natural how he like held it, out, dropped it grabbed it Oops. picked it up here you go, here you go.
0: <laughs> it works so well yeah <laughs> let's end with the movie. oh man um so now that we understand how evil this thing is or how powerful it is, um, the group now realizes they need to do anything they can to keep it away from Ronin and anybody else who can use it for evil and that the best place to take it would be back to Nova Corps, who would presumably take good care of this thing. So- cut
1: to Drax calling Ronin directly <laughs> to their location.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so Ronin is now here for a fight. You know, Drax is ready to take him down single-handedly. And this triggers a big chaotic scene where there's so much going on. The team is everywhere. Um, some of them are, you know, fighting, you know, fighting Ronin where they're flying around, trying to keep tabs on this orb. They can't lose it and not get blown up by Nebula's ships because she's there too. And she's trying to kill Gamora. So... And the
1: Ravagers are there too because they the Ravagers, got wind yeah. of the message. So you've got three separate groups fighting.
0: True. Yeah, there is so much happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't take notes fast enough on this. I had to pause a couple of times. <laughs> I was like, OK, this person's doing that. This person's doing that. Um, and it ends up with Ronin throwing Drax into a pool of yellow stuff. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> um, Nebula blasting Gamora's pod in out in space. And it kind of separates everybody for a little bit. So Star-Lord goes and rescues Gamora and calls Yondu to just come and get him. And Rocket's very distressed about this because Peter is not likely to survive outside of his pod and Nebula Gamora is kind of drifting out in space about to die. And so... And,
1: and, and we have to point out the body modifications are the only thing that kept them from dying as soon as they got out in space. You know, true. Star-Lord also has the mask, which can mm-hmm. provide him with the oxygen he needs and protect his face. And mm-hmm. he gives that to Gamora to to save her, fully expecting that if Yondu doesn't show up, he's dead.
0: True, yeah. Which is a really big moment for him because he's been established as, you know, that person who, like we said in the beginning, he holds people at arm's length. And so for him to start developing this attachment to somebody and realize he cares enough about somebody to, you know, potentially make the sacrifice if Yondu doesn't show up, like that's a big deal. It's a big yeah. character moment for him. Um. So Groot ends up being the one who saves Drax with, you know, kind of a, a root in the, the chest or something like that. <laughs> and Ronin gets away with the orb. So um, that kind of races us toward the end of Act 2, where Ronin's getting cocky. He has it now, and he's ready to destroy Xandar, and then he's going to kill Thanos. LOL. Like, <laughs> for anyone to just think single-handedly, like, I'm going to go after Thanos then. Um,
1: yep. He, used to, he, what is, he called him boy. He's like, you call me boy? I'm coming after you. Like, you <laughs> little bit power hungry there, buddy. A little a <laughs> tiny bit.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So they all manage to reunite on the Ravager ship and Peter gives his rousing, we're all losers speech and they vow to go get Ronan. <laughs> <laughs> And this is such a great speech because they're one by one they all stand up and they're like i'm in and i'm
1: in <laughs> and, and rocket look at us all standing here like morons
0: <laughs> right? they're all standing are you happy now <laughs> oh man <laughs> so so now they have their plan and they're ready for act three so peter the ravagers and Nova Corps team up to go and assault Ronin's ship before he can get to Xandar, and so with this combined forces, the Guardians are able to kind of infiltrate the ship. They face Nebula, the the bandits from the beginning of the movie, and tons of Ronin's forces. They're all over the place um when they finally make it to ronin they're completely outmatched because now ronin has the power stone and he's kind of put it inside of his hammer so he's basically indestructible and they even try to fire like a missile at him or something and it does absolutely nothing um the yeah, they, next... they
1: really set up the you're doomed angle you know that that final act you know pull the forces together for one last go they they really showcase how screwed they are And then you also see, you know, the Nova Corps starting to fail. You see the Ravagers starting to fail. Like it's, it's really like the whole plan is unraveling and you're almost, you're almost to the point of no return.
0: Yeah. It looks so hopeless. It's just like one of those things, like the Marvel third acts are usually not my favorite part of the movie, but like this, like it really kind of keeps you invested. Like, man, how are they going to take this guy down? (laughs) There's just no way at this point. And so it. It it really keeps the pace going, which I appreciate. And, and in uh,
1: keeping with that, that you know, this is a very real group of people. They're mm-hmm. all down on their luck. They're they're practically defeated.
0: Mm-hmm. And what
1: do they do? Dance off, bro.
0: Dance like, off, bro. <laughs> like
1: stupid distraction was the only thing Peter had left, and he went for
0: it. <laughs> yes, I I love it. So so Rocket forces a crash that brings this ship down on Xandar and they're only able to survive that because Groot sacrifices himself to shield his friends and that's a really emotional moment because first he he finally says something then other than I am Groot. He says we are Groot and it's just like all profound like you feel that like yes we are Groot. I'm not <laughs> crying, you're crying. <laughs> Rocket's crying. Like, he he loves his best friend, and he knows, like, Groot can't survive this. And, and so, how,
1: how much of a poignant moment is that, too, where he's crying after he yelled at Drax for crying <laughs> earlier? We all got dead people. And Drax <laughs> just comes up and pats him on the head a little bit. No words.
0: Yeah, so. That's
1: that I feel you, bro moment.
0: I feel you, bro, yeah. So, they're all friends now. There's even that whole speech that Drax gives about like you are my friend you are my friend <laughs> and then I think it's Gamora oh my god
1: saying. that was hilarious <laughs> he calls Gamora a whore he's like you're my friend you're even though you're a whore or something like that and then not two seconds later do we have um oh shit I'm drawing a blank why am I drawing a blank the other sister yeah yeah, Nebula, yeah, mm-hmm. where she says something and he just immediately shoots her because you don't talk to my friend like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and again, friend, you know, real people dynamic, we all call our friends stupid names and we pick on each other, but oh, don't yeah. you dare pick on them.
0: Right. <laughs> Only I get to do that. <laughs> yes. Um, so back to that dance-off the, that you mentioned, that's kind of the, their last little <clears throat> Hail Mary there where Ronan is seconds away from destroying the zendarians he has his bad guy's speech he has his hammer ready to go the stone is glowing and then peter initiates this dance off
1: and it's so beautifully awkward
0: (laughs) it's so so beautifully
1: (laughs) awkward awkward. like he even tries to pull nebula and he's like okay pulling it back
0: back. (laughs) jk uh it's it's so funny and even Ronan's just like what are you even doing (laughs) Uh, like a don't understand what you're up to right now um, distracting you bro distracting you bro <laughs> so so they're able to kind of use this distraction to destroy the hammer and blast the power stone out of the hammer which cues this epic slow-mo die for it and so now i'm going to confess that this is the first marvel movie that ever made me cry despite being how funny it is like this whole the next few minutes after they've lost the power stone out of the out of the the hammer where um <clears throat> Everything's in slow mo. Peter grabs the stone first, but he's not strong enough to hold it alone. And so, when Gamora asks asks him to take her hand, he sees that vision of his mother and kind of flashes back to that. Take my hand, Peter. And that I teared up, and I still do every time I watch this movie. I'm just like, that's so beautiful. Like, he calls back to calls back to the moment with his mother. Um, shows how much he's grown since then because he can take Gamora's hand now. Um, and one by one, they're all coming together and sharing the burden of the stone because one person can't wield it, but all of them together are kind of able to take this force. It's not easy. It still, you know, hurts them, but together they can take the burden of the stone and use that to turn the energy back on Ronan and destroy him, which is just a really powerful, like, message, I think, about, you know, kind of like sharing the burden. You know, you don't have to go through these things alone. Like, as a group, you can do more. Yep. So. So well done.
1: Yep, very powerful moment. And, and you feel in that, that moment that they are now a team.
0: They are, yeah. And that's where they finally name themselves, right? And you, like you said it yourself, we're the guardians of the galaxy. Yep, so. <laughs> they, they accept the name.
1: They, they learn how to, to lean on each other. You know, it's, it, it's very much, you know, their moment.
0: It's their moment, yes. So in the aftermath, Peter gives Yandu a fake orb to appease him. He literally trolls him, like there's a troll inside of the orb because Yandu loves his plastic trolls. <laughs> and Yandu's proud of this. He's like, Yeah, you know, you did the right thing. Again, it's that 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 Papa moment.
1: He's he knew by opening it up, he knew that it wasn't going to be the stone inside. And he's smiling so wide because, you know, he his boy did the right thing.
0: He did the right thing. Yeah.
1: And everybody saved face in it too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and everybody else knows, like, hey, you raised a good kid, right? And then they say something about the dad, right? Like, oh, it's a good thing we didn't take him back to his He's a real real asshole, yeah. (laughs) So that's a nice tease for the the next Guardians movie. Um, And then Gamora insists that Peter has much more family now than just Yondu, which is just a really sweet moment. And Rocket mourns the group that we knew because he, he sacrificed himself. Um, but he we now has the little
1: seedling Groot.
0: He just has a little sapling, yeah, <laughs> which will eventually grow into a new Groot, and it's it's adorable. We love the new Groot. So, um, we learned that Peter is only half human. Nova Corps tells them that they've kind of studied his DNA, and they they need to tell him that the father is something else. He did not come from Earth. Um, they have this theory that maybe that's why he was able to hold the stone as long as he did, because he's not fully human. And then they clear the the Guardian's criminal records. They're kind of ready to go and live their lives now. Um, Drax is not entirely happy about having killed Ronin. And there's kind of this epic line where he's like, it's Thanos we need to get. And they just kind of leave it there. (laughs) Everybody's going to want Thanos by the end of this whole thing. Of course.
1: I mean, they have to set (laughs) it up.
0: They have to set it up, yes. and then Peter finally opens his childhood birthday gift, which is a letter from his mom. And that just like keeps my my feels going, along with Awesome Mix Volume 2, which I think is a really nice tease that we'll get another movie out of that. So.
1: Yeah. And the the Awesome Mix Volume 1 and 2 are actually really good mixes.
0: <laughs> They're really good. Yeah, there's such good music in these movies. So, all right. So let's say that you had to put together an awesome mix for a Guardians movie. What's... A song that you would put in one of these movies oh, any eighties jams that you love
1: oh, that is so hard to pick, <laughs> oh, well, I probably have to go back to you know the the era that I grew up in, so I grew up in the their eighties and nineties. okay, so there would definitely be some green day in there.
0: oh, nice. I could yeah. see green day. Green Day would fit really well in these movies, yeah. I think, let's see, my mom raised me on Aerosmith. I can see, you know, that would probably have some really nice vibes in this movie. Um, Kind of like low-hanging fruit, but Don't Stop Believing would totally do something like this. Yeah, yeah, I could see like a nice montage, you know. with. I I throw some Gwen
1: Stefani in there too.
0: That would totally work, yeah, Gwen Stefani. I feel like I had another one in mind before we did this. I really love the song from the 80s, Rock Me Amadeus. I can't Ooh. remember who who does that, but that's okay. just a nice jam. It's a bop, you know, so that would be on my awesome mix. Um, the video game also has a really good 80s soundtrack. There there was a game, I think they released it last year or the year before. And I wanted to ramble about this for a minute because it it's very similar to the movie in that it's hilarious the, all the characters have their one lighter moments and just like witty banter the whole time. And it totally keeps the same vibe, but it also has these really deep, profound moments laced through the game that some there was a moment that made me cry. There's a moment where um, you, you keep flashing back to Peter's like 10th birthday or his 11th birthday, like one of his younger birthdays where he's with his mom. They're spending it kind of alone. And then aliens invade. Something takes over the mother. And you you keep coming back to this every couple hours or so. You come back to that day. And there's a moment where you're starting to realize there's something off about the mother. And she comes in and like gives you a hug. And if she holds on too long, it cuts to the end credits of the game. And you're supposed to understand that she's like killed you or something. It's really dark. And then it gives you an opportunity to say, like, do you really want the game to end this way? <laughs> and, it, and you can put, hit a button to like, rewind it and go back. And you're forced to actually shoot the mother over and over and over again. And it's just this gut-wrenching moment where, like, you understand, you know, implicitly that it's not the mother, but it's just, like, it makes you shoot her, and it's it's hard. So, wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. That would be yeah. hard.
0: Yeah. So... So these, this whole franchise is just really good about doing, you know, comedy and slapstick and fun, but then every now and then it kind of gives you a punch to the gut. Like the second movie also did that. Like a, there's these, yeah. these like feels moments that, that we'll talk about later, but.
1: Oh yeah. I can't wait till we get to the second one. Cause yeah. there's some good stuff in there too. I, like they, they did good with this franchise, like each version Of the superhero stories has its own flavor it has its own feel even you know as they build up to ensemble stories and even the ensemble stories the avengers is totally different from the guardians of the galaxy even though they're both ensembles you know casts that are supposed to be the good guys going after the bad guys they're Mm -hmm. very very different and i like the guardians franchise i like the way they did this one
0: Yes, definitely. They, Do you have they, a favorite yeah. favorite moment in the movie or anything that didn't work for you? Or...
1: No, actually, I think from start to finish this one, like I said, it was a sit up and pay attention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there was always something going on that was interesting. It, it felt very relatable. It felt very real. There wasn't really moments that slowed me down, but there were moments where I just, like, I can't stop laughing. Like Yondu <laughs> going to the the broker and, yeah. <laughs> and the broker's not saying what he wants. So he's just, blah, 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 just gibberish. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> just, just those moments, they, they get, they take you to the edge, you know, that, that comedic edge where you can either go over the top and you screw it up or you don't quite get there and it doesn't feel satisfying. They take you right to the edge without mm-hmm. toppling over, which is something I think the Thor franchise, we've talked about this before, has been like really playing with and hasn't found their footing ragnarok mm-hmm. was really good yes and what did they do with love and thunder they went way over the top what oh did my they gosh the goats <laughs> <work? They> we <were laughs> near the comedic edge that they needed to get to and that kind of yeah. fell flat they they keep trying to figure out where the line is guardians just hit the line that was it
0: it hit the line yeah it's really well done and so james gunn didn't he also do the new suicide squad and movie and came out i think it's the same guy to look this Yeah, up like and, that. and
1: that one didn't hit as well
0: not quite as well. I, I think it did better than the first version of Suicide Squad that came out. Um, but it held my attention for a much longer period of time. I think that my biggest thing with Suicide Squad is that I have that thing with <laughs> where patterns and like clusters of holes make me really sick. Like when oh. I see that, that phobia, you know, it's it just like viscerally makes me nauseous when I see that, and so the star monster in that second movie is just really disgusting to me. Like, I can't watch that more than once. <laughs> but but the story and the the characters, I think, were developed pretty well. And so it makes me glad that um, he's now like the Kevin Feige of DC now, right? I think I heard something about he's going to be the new okay. person taking over DC, which um, I think DC, c- should be a step in the right direction.
1: <laughs> DC just can't find their footing either. They, they can't figure out which lane.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... and... <sighs> I've never been as interested in DC as I have with Marvel.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to be one of those people who's like, yeah, like all of it's so good. You know, I'll give I'll give most of the movies a chance, you know, I'll watch them. But but they never hit as hard for me as the Marvel ones do. And that's that's just kind of how it goes. Some good comics. um, But ever since the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy, I don't think anything has really top that for me yeah it's probably my favorite thing that dc has ever put out
1: and i think that's probably too why i can't attach to dc so much is because they've rehashed the same story so many different ways it's like the spider-man thing i can't there's too many versions of this story and i just can't attach to any one of them Mm -hmm. it it becomes almost a you know fatigue after a while it's like really another one (laughs)
0: That's fair. How many times have we seen Bruce Wayne's parents be murdered on the screen, like over and over and over again? (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Oh, and just to shout out the post credits real quick for this movie. so they they feature the collector. He survived the explosion. He's kind of beat up and he's having a drink. And we see Howard the Duck. That's a movie I have yet to watch, but eventually I'll cover that on this podcast. I've heard it's terrible. And so that makes me even more excited to understand (laughs) why. Um, and then Cosmo the Space Dog is also kind of teased in this movie. So,
1: and Cosmo uh, gets a spot in the uh, the holiday special.
0: Yes, we finally get like a real like intro to Cosmo, which is so much fun. So, um, so much fun though. I, I loved rewatching this movie. It's been a while since I came back to this one. And again, a breath of fresh air. It's structurally perfect. It's fun. It has feels. And it took the MCU in a, totally new direction where they were they realized that they could have fun doing the weird stuff and kind of branching off into the cosmos and doing breaking away from the formula which I think it really really
1: was a standout and it it did you're right it changed the way that that the MCU approached their movies Mm -hmm. and and to you know to its detriment sometimes because like we said they they went that way with Ragnarok and then went too far with Love and Thunder yeah (laughs) they're still kind of feeling out where the line is And really it's, it's all the, the picking the right director to, to find the flow and James Mm -hmm. Gunn did a great job with this one and the second guardians of the galaxy.
0: I agree. So looking forward to the third one, I think that's next year or maybe the year after and should be coming pretty soon. Um, It'll
1: be interesting to see how that one plays, you know, if they can manage to keep the tone in that right range.
0: Yeah, because a lot of tragic things have happened to the Guardians since this movie. (laughs) And so so I'm wondering how they'll kind of keep this tone going, you know, how much they'll be able to keep doing the comedy and also acknowledging a lot of the trauma that they've experienced. And I imagine there's going to be a lot centering on trying to find Gamora and which will probably be really sad. And so I don't know. I don't I know nothing about the story that they're going to tell moving forward, but I'm excited to see how they approach it. So
1: I think if they can manage to keep that dynamic of, of remembering who each character is and yeah. really playing each character individually, because once you start losing the feel of those characters and they start blending together, then you lose the love for those characters. They become land, but That's if you've true. still got rocket, you know, cursing and, and being the mom of the group, and you still got, you know, Peter being the, the bumbling father person in the group, great yeah. ideas, <laughs> not that great execution, always yeah. telling those jokes, you know, like everybody does have a unique personality that makes this unit work. Fun it was stuff. good. like I said that that was one of my favorites. I had gone into it without high expectations. Mm-hmm. I didn't even get to see it on a, a really good screen. I started a drive in, so you know <laughs> it's the the not like seeing it in the Dolby surround sound you know darkness of the theater and all that, but i I sat up and just could not focus on talking to anybody else. I was like, I need to watch this. This
0: is interesting. Totally, yeah. It was great. So, thank you so much for diving into it with me. And holiday group says hello. By the way, oh, it's so cute on my desk. I have to bring this out every holiday. It's my little Christmas tree. (laughs) I'm
1: I'm I'm happy you you brought me out. I love doing these chats with you. I I love being able to geek out about things that you know are fandoms.
0: Thanks again to Katie for joining me for a rewatch of Guardians of the Galaxy. And what awesome timing for this because Disney Plus just dropped a holiday special and we just got a trailer for Guardians 3. If you had fun or you want to talk about these with us, join us on Instagram at Quantum pod. Tell us which Guardian is most like you or which song you would add to an awesome mix. And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcast and share with your movie going buddies. We love geeking out with you. The next movie is another fun turning point, speeding us closer to the end of our Phase 2 rewatch. It's the first one that I ever saw on a Thursday night opening, and I still remember the energy of the theater. I've been looking forward to talking about this one, the second Avengers movie, The Age of Ultron. Until then, remember, we are Groot, and happy holidays to you and your loved ones. Quantum Realm has no affiliation with Marvel Studios or any other branch of Marvel Entertainment. The opinions expressed by the participants are all theirs and do not reflect any companies or organizations they're connected to. Thank you so much for listening, and until the next time, be well.